Welcome to the Hellraiser Podcast. Hello there, welcome to episode 40 of the Hellraiser Podcast. I'm Peter and with me is Phil. Hello. Hello Phil. Hi. And today we're going to be talking about The Midnight Meat Train, the movie version of the short story written by Clive Barker. Mm. Yeah. I followed them into the subway. It's always a late train. Probably the same one each time. He waits for it to empty out. And then he kills them. He butchers them like cattle. I saw it. I took pictures. They never find the remains because he unloads the meat somewhere. So the film came out in 2008. It's directed by Yuhei Kitamura and stars Bradley Cooper and Leslie Bibb and some other people, Brooke Shields, and of course the wonderful Mr. Vinnie Jones. Vinnie Jones. Who is not always wonderful in movies, but in this one, he's rather special. I think this is his, the best film he's ever done. Well, look at that. And he's not done that many films. And no. A lot of he them, hasn't. he's not really an actor, is he, as such? No. For those who don't know, he was a footballer to start with, and mm. then he became known as a hard man of football, and then he started acting in Guy Ritchie films. And then he somehow managed to get a Hollywood career going, yeah. which seems to have stalled recently. Yeah, uh, to be fair, he was actually really good in Lockstock. He's good in Lockstock. He's good in Snatch as well. Mm, I don't remember that. Oh, he's very good in that. Okay. He's fun. I like him in this best. Yes, this is wonderful. So it's based on a short story from the Books of Blood, first published in 1984. It's the first story in the first book of the Books of Blood, mm-hmm. which we will do at some point, but we're going to sort of touch on them in the meantime, talking about the movies based on them. Yeah. Which there have been a couple. We've done Candyman already. There's a couple more. There's one called Dread, and there's one called The Book of Blood. We'll do those at some point. Yeah. But this one we had to talk about because we both love it. Oh, yeah. This film is brilliant. And I'm just going to say, before we get into it, this is a, your spoiler warning. We're going to spoil both the short story and the movie. And if you haven't read it or seen it, I would really, really highly recommend you do so because it is brilliant. The book's brilliant and it's not its not very long. You can read it in one sitting quite easily and the film is excellent. You should definitely seek it out and look at it. Yes, watch it. Turn it off now. Turn this off. Turn this off. Pause this, now. you bastards, and go and watch the Before film. Before we talk about the monsters at the end. <gasps> oh. Uh-oh. No. Oh, ruined. And make sure you don't go and see it at the cinema in 2008. <laughs> make sure you watch the DVD or the Blu-ray. Because there's a lot more in it than there was at the, in the theatrical version. Yeah, so this is the extreme version, isn't it? Well, according to the Blu-ray, extreme edition. the UK Blu-ray, yes, the extreme edition, the version you couldn't see at cinemas. Yeah. Because they didn't release it in the, they didn't release it in the cinema. Um, first thing I'd, I'd say about the Blu-ray version of it is it looks amazing. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah. It looks so good. It's really good. Brilliant. So get that. Get that. Get, if you haven't got a Blu-ray player, buy a Blu-ray player just for this film. Yeah. And get Hellraiser, because that's also really good on Blu-ray. Oh, yeah. So let's dive in mm. to the Midnight Meat Train. Okay. So let's talk about the, the short story, first of all, very briefly. It's the story of two characters, Kaufman and Mahogany. Kaufman is a an accountant, middle-aged, overweight accountant who works in New York City. He's quite boring, quite bored with his life. And he, he's working late one night and he gets on a train to go home. Meanwhile, a Mahogany is a, well, a sort of strange butcher character who likes to go on trains and kill people. Mm-hmm. And they talk about this subway killer throughout the thing. And Kaufman ends up on the train 
that the killing is going on. It's just set in one night. He stumbles across mahogany, killing people and stringing them up. And he stops him and he kills him. Mm. And then they arrive at a station and he meets the monsters, which we'll talk about later on. Mm. And that's it, really. And then he, he becomes the new butcher and that's the end. Yeah. So, so it's I mean, a very simple story. Yeah, and we'll, and we'll talk more about that when we when we do the podcast about that particular one. And I had, yeah, we'll talk about it properly then. I had read the story when, before I saw the film. And I was a bit concerned going into the film thinking, I don't know if there's enough to string out into a... A ninety-minute film, or yeah, it's a bit longer than that, yeah. Um, but they do it so well; it's a really, really good adaptation of a story. They've fleshed it out, so to speak. They've added well, lots more to it. Which we just dive into the film as well. Yes, let's. Yeah, I, I just want to say I agree absolutely with what you're saying. Well, good. I think, I'm glad you do. Yeah, this time I agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> they're usually well, often they. You know, I would expect the story in the movie to be quite thin but yeah. they've 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 sort of not padded it out but they've um they've added a lot in this one and it's really interesting what they've done mm. and it all makes a lot of sense that's yeah that's one of the best things about the film is all the characters motivations seem to make sense mm. and it's believable what people are doing why they're doing it is believable yes and uh, the main reason for that is the main story of the character Leon Leon Kaufman played by Bradley Cooper he is a photographer who gets a bit of a break with this wonderful art lady played by Brooke Shields he shows her a photo he's taken of a horrific encounter with a gang who are about to rape a young lady and she says get me some more shots like that really brutal raw shots and I'll have you in my new art show mm. and so the motivation for this guy is he has to go and seek out really horrible shit and take pictures of it yeah and that'll get him the fame and glory he wants from being a photographer yeah and that is a brilliant setup i think immediately you it's believable why he's following all these horrible things around the city yeah definitely um so that was a really good good idea good choice it, yeah makes total sense um and it also is is good because you do sort of find yourself critiquing what he's chosen to do yeah i mean we, when we meet him he was like oh I, I, the car crashed into a window and i didn't quite get a good shot of, mm -hmm. and you think that's oh, what he's yeah when he's he doing him. and then he's kind of seduced by this um art world this yeah. woman going oh yeah you know yeah get a good shot of someone doing something really horrible and uh, it'll be in my next exhibition and you just think come on <laughs> come on uh, but it makes perfect sense as to why he's going out and he's really driven you know he wants to be a success he wants to yeah. uh, be a successful artist with mm -hmm. his photography he used to be a painter as it says yeah um interestingly enough quite a few Clive Barker paintings yeah. in this film. When you first see the art gallery where he meets Brooke Shields for the first time, there's a shot of two Clive Barker paintings on the wall. There's a few, I think. There's more than that. In the background. Mm. Yeah, they could well be. Mm. Yeah, so that's really good. Um, I really love Clive, love Clive Barker's paintings. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they are. They're awesome. Uh, so yeah, so he's got a completely believable reason for going out in mm. the dark and uh, going around. Now... Just talk about the way that the film is shot. Yeah. It's just beautiful, I think. It is absolutely stunning. Yeah. It looks amazing. I mean, I think the composition of the shots is really interesting, uh, and nothing's ever been kind of just like, okay, we'll just we'll just film this. No. Everything looks very, very thought out. You know, really like they've really put a lot of effort into doing things in an interesting way. And the colouring is amazing, I think. Mm -hmm. The lighting, 
the way that the scenes are sort of coloured, just really, I really like it. I completely agree. The cinematography, the camera shots, the camera movements, it's all really impressive, really stylish and really stylized. which I've heard some people complain about, the, not complain, but I've heard some people be negative about the film, that they didn't like the style. And I guess maybe it's not for everyone, but it is for me. <laughs> I think Definitely. I love this, the style. And there's some there's some extreme violence and extreme gore, mm. which again we both love. Yeah. Um, but some of that is a little CG heavy with blood splurting everywhere. Mm. And again, I've heard complaints about that as well, not being realistic. But I couldn't give a monkey's. Mm-hmm. I think it's brilliant. The, the, it's so stylish, and it reminds me a little bit of sort of Kill Bill. You know, blood splurting everywhere, and it's all very yes. It's not obviously not realistic, but it's fun. It's like a comic book film. Yeah, I th- I think um, it really the bit where mahogany batters um, Sam Raimi's brother, who's in this film, <laughs> and his eyes is, pop out, and his eyes pop out of his head, and he hits him on the back of the head with a hammer. His eyes yeah. pop out of his head, fly towards the camera, and hit the camera. Yeah. <laughs> that is telling you what the director's intention is yeah. with this film. You know, he's not he's not trying to make a sort of uh, fully serious kind of uh, no. real look at violence. We're here to have fun. It's it's fun and it's stylized, very very stylized. I mean, you know, you hit someone on the back of the head, their eyeballs don't pop out and fly around and all this <laughs> kind of stuff. But um but it looks brilliant. I think it looks great. It's brilliant. And it, 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 it really makes you go, oh, 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 you know, that kind of like, oh, that's disgusting. And then laugh. Yeah. Type thing. It is great. And that sort of gore that you get with things like Reanimator and uh, Peter Jackson's Brain Dead or Dead Alive, if you're from the States, it's that feel. Even though it's a much more serious film than those two, the gore is just, well, I, I think it's so much fun. I love it. It is. It is. And um like I say, with the with the shots, with the way that it's been filmed, they've really taken the time to uh, to do interesting things with it. I mean, the the bit where um, you're looking, there's a quite a few shots where you're looking, sort of. I think there's a few, a couple where you're looking out of someone's eyes, yeah, basically, yeah, yeah. And um, you're looking out of this poor woman's eyes as she's being dragged <laughs> along the floor by mahogany, and then he hits her around the head so much that her head comes off. And then the <laughs> still camera with us in her eyes. We're still with yeah. us looking out of her perspective. <laughs> then the camera comes out of her. I yeah. and you're looking at her severed head that's been looking at the reflection of mahogany who's just hit her. It's brilliant. And you're just like that's that's so inventive and interesting. Mm-hmm. I think that on the commentary he says that's one of the first scenes they storyboarded. Yeah. <laughs> that that I mean that is someone who's really looking to have fun. It's someone who's a very competent filmmaker, isn't it? You know, yes, who's someone who's definitely. who's really in control of the camera and is like, "Yes, we can make this work. I understand computer graphics and I understand what I can do." Because I don't think um, a director who was just kind of more traditional would, would even think to do that. No. He just wouldn't approach that kind of shot. So let's talk about the character of Leon. Because he goes on a bit of a journey during this film mm. on a train. But also yes. a, <laughs> a physical and emotional journey. <clears throat> so he starts off as this, this guy who just wants to do well in his work. And he's sort of ignoring his girlfriend a bit at the beginning. He's in, into his work. And then he gets drawn into this underworld. He gets obsessed with this butcher character the obsession that we see in a lot of Clive Barker work a lot of Hellraiser films as well mm. and I think it may, that makes perfect sense because um, mm. it's nice at the beginning how basically his girlfriend gets him the break with the art gallery and he and she's just really supportive and nice of yeah. him uh, and he's not you can just tell he's not quite as you know he's so obsessed with his work that he's mm-hmm. he's grateful but he's not 
he's not as grateful <laughs> as you should be, perhaps. No. Um, and when he sees Mahogany, that's why the casting of Vinnie Jones is great, because his face in this film is so expressive and yeah. so brilliant. And you really believe that he would want to take photos of him and follow him, because mm. he doesn't look freakish, but he looks... No. It it works. He looks it, interesting, and yeah. there's like this something. There's something about him, like you can tell. You know, walking along. If you walk past him in the street in the world of this film, you wouldn't really think anything of it. But if you looked into his eyes, you'd think you might think to yourself, "God, he looks like a murderer." Hasn't he? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And then you wouldn't think anything of it, and you'd carry on walking along, uh, which is why that's just great casting, I think. Yeah. And Bradley Cooper, he's brilliant in this film. He's a very good actor, isn't he? I mean, well, he, he, he always is, yeah. He's very good at... Um, but people who don't really know his work very well just think of him as a kind of a rom-com type actor. I guess so, yeah. But he's um, but he's made some interesting choices in films. He's got a good a good range, I think. And he uh, has, yeah. You know, he, in, in some respects, films like this, he hasn't got much to do of interest. You've just got to kind of play this arc... Um, and yeah, but, he, but gotta, he does it. Do it well, though. <laughs> no, but that's what I mean. He does it really well. Yeah. I, I think on paper, these kind of films, it's it's quite straightforward. What happens to your character? Mm. Um, but I think he always adds a kind of a vulnerability and a, a reality to things like this. Yeah, and this is just before he got really famous with things like The Hangover and The A Team and Limitless. So he was kind of unknown at this point. Mm. But he is excellent in this film. He's really good. So, yeah, so great casting. I think everybody actually in the film is great. Yeah, that's true. Every and, actor. And they're, they're helped by the dialogue. It's very well written mm-hmm. as well. And like we said earlier on, it's very believable. Everyone's choice is very believable. And the way that they're talking is very believable. The first scene where you meet the police detective lady, yeah, where he's talking to her and he's saying, you know, I took these photos of these guys and I stopped them murdering this woman, but then she's dead, so maybe it was them. And she's saying... Why were you taking pictures of them again, exactly? Mm. And why did you carry on? That scene is played really well, I think. It's really believable. And the fact that... Except, as you pointed out when you watched it just now, the fact that she's a bit too interested in him and not in catching the killer of this woman, which yeah. we'll find out later on. Yeah. I mean, I, I, that bothered me when I watched it first, because I was like, what is she doing? Why is she not... She, why, why is she being such a bitch, you know? And it's Although only I, when you I find didn't out. think that, because I thought she was pretending to be aloof to try and catch him out. Yeah. Because it is weird that yeah. he saw this attack going on and instead of stopping it, took photos of it. Yeah. And I think there, there was... I mean, that's the setup uh, for that classic sort of film uh, thing of that the the hero is suspected as the villain. Yeah. Um, so And they deal with that a little bit in this film, but they don't go into it too much, which is great, because no, I'm yeah. so bored of that. <laughs> you know, if he'd have, if the police had have started chasing him and, and thinking that he was the murderer, yeah. I'm really glad that that doesn't really exist too much in this film. <laughs> no, I agree. Because I think it's tedious. Um, you have that a little bit between him and his girlfriend. Mm-hmm. I think she kind of has a suspicion that he might be... Maybe he's doing it, or maybe he's, yeah. you know. But again, she more often than not is on his side, which she's, I just think is it really makes you, you know, it's just less wearing to watch. Although I think she's a bit too. When he she first sees the photos of the gang trying to rape the woman, her first reaction is, "Wow, you should definitely show these pictures to that lady." Whereas I think it would be. 
hang on, what were you doing? That looks really, really dangerous. You're going to get yourself killed, you idiot. Well, she's she's super supportive. <laughs> she's all right. Yeah, but she should not want him to get stabbed as well. Uh, then. Well, he's a bit of and an idiot, isn't he? <laughs> once, he'd, once he'd explained that he knew they were on camera and, you know, he said, you're being filmed and he knew they'd leave him alone, then she could say, okay, fine. In that case, you must show these to that mm-hmm. one. But she should go straight in with that. Yeah. Anyway, I just thought that for the time. <laughs> so, um... Yeah, so I, I like that because it, I think there's a lot of potential in this in this story for it to be quite the kind of... Especially since they're trying to make a whole film out of it. Yeah. For that whole kind of thing. Like he gets suspected as being the killer mm-hmm. and the girlfriend turns against him and says, oh, you, you know, you've got too obsessed. And there's only a couple of scenes in the film where I was kind of like, oh, no, he's doing that obsessed thing where you mm-hmm. put lots of pictures up and someone comes in and you're like, no, I know what's going on. It's the butcher, you know, the butcher killer. <laughs> and, and she's like, oh, is it? Oh, okay. Um, you know, I find those things quite boring to watch because I yeah. know that they're just a lead up. They're just a building block in the story. <laughs> no, I agree. Where we get to. Uh, mm. But you don't really get that too much in this film, which is great. Yeah, you're right. It doesn't play too much on those those scenes. And, there's, and there are other bits where you kind of think, oh, where's it going now? And then, it, then, then it's quite interesting. Like when Maya and Jurgis go and... <laughs> great name. <laughs> go to the hotel that the butcher is staying in. Mm-hmm. Um, to get the camera back because they knew that the proof they need that the proof that Leon needs is in this camera and the photos. Yeah, they basically say we know this is a really stupid thing to do, but we have to. There's no other way. Yes, and that's nice to acknowledge. Yeah, the fact that it's a it's a really stupid horror film thing that people do silly things. Yeah, and then I think it's quite nice that what happens in there because I mean you know you think oh. Is he going to get out of it? Is Jerkis going to get away? Yeah. And he just batters him around the head and that's yeah. it. And then she just runs off. Um, so that's quite real. Mm-hmm. Uh, incidentally, then that leads on to uh, all of them ending up on the train. Yeah. Uh, with Jurgis, you know, naked, upside down as meat with hooks <laughs> through his ankles. And I think this is brilliant. Because we have the huge fight scene between yeah, the hero and the villain. Um and it's it's got lots of comedy in it as well because yeah. like they kill him accidentally, don't they? Like they mm-hmm. stab him with a knife and slit him open. And they're stabbing, stabbing into the dead bodies. Into the dead bodies, yeah. I think you know that's just really showing off the director's humor a lot. You know, mm. we don't want it to be just completely straight laced. Uh, there's quite a few nods to the audience. Yeah, and at one point in the commentary, he's saying he says that the producers at one point. Producers of these films sound stupid. Sorry, guys. <laughs> but they had some input that wasn't great. And they were saying, you know, you should you don't want to make this funny. You know, don't put any comedy in it. It's supposed to be a, a, a serious film. It's like, yeah, but you got to have the comedy elements to make everyone, you know, feel yeah, at ease. Absolutely. I think, you know, the, the way the comedy is put in this film is just very intelligent. Mm. Like, some of it is silly. Like, yeah. smashing someone's eyeballs out. But <laughs> it... It made me laugh and think, oh, this 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 guy's yeah. having a fun with this. It's fun, that's what it is. Rather than, um, whoa, that was stupid. <laughs> so then we we come to the kind of larger plot. Yeah. Because in the middle of the film, obviously, we, we are sort of led down the garden path a bit by the, uh, the train driver hearing Mahogany mm. murdering someone. And we think, oh, my God, he gets a gun. The train driver's going to come and kill Mahogany. And he kills... The innocent victim. Yeah. And he says, I'm very disappointed in you, Mahogany. 
so this is the point where you go wait a minute you know other people are in on this what mm-hmm. what's going on why is this train uh taking people to be slaughtered and that leads us to the monsters mm. <laughs> so you first see them just in little brief snippets when leon's been captured by mahogany he's been trussed up upside down mm. and they just turn up and they mark his chest and we don't know why to start with because mm. then they'd let him go yes back to his life yeah and it's not until the end we find out that mahogany's got the same markings on his chest so leon has been marked as the next butcher yes because mahogany bless him is not very well is he he's not very well he's got a cough He's, and got he's covered in tumors. Tumors, yeah. He's. Um, I mean, this is kind of interesting stuff. That's not really explained in the film, is it? He's. He's got these kind of tumors that he cuts off himself and puts in jars. Yeah. Um, and it's pretty grim. It's horrible. Pretty horrible. Uh, uh, very atmospheric, but you you don't really know what's going on there. Essentially, Mahogany's got a bit too old. He's mm-hmm. a bit too sick. Yeah. And he can't really be the butcher anymore. No. So what happens at the end with this kind of fight and stuff is all kind of a rite of passage. Um, yeah. It's almost that he has to, that um, uh, Leon has to kill Mahogany in order to take mm-hmm. his place. But Mahogany's not given up without a fight, though. No, he really, <laughs> they have a great yeah. fight. They have a fantastic fight. Um, that again, is as we say, full of humour and, and interest, but it's... Hard hitting. That's that's one of the good things about this yeah. film is that um, when stuff happens to punches. people, it it looks really painful. Yes, it's filmed in such a way that when you smack someone's head into a chair, it really makes you go, "Oh wow!" Or into a glass door. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. a very violent film. It's it's unbelievably violent. If you but don't like a, gore, not, but not in a horrible way, like something like The Human Centipede Two. Yeah. Or, or something like the Hostel films, which are. They're very well made. They're very good, but they're not as fun as this. Yeah, I don't. I don't think the violence in this film is um, nasty in a weird way. That sounds strange. No, it's not nasty in that I don't think you can kind of get off because on it's it. so stylized. Yeah, it's sort of almost cartoonish. Yeah, um, but there's a lot of moments that will, will make you wince. Like I mean, hammers smashing into people's faces, or yeah. the first kill with the the, mm. the Japanese lady. Yeah, just smashes her in one shot in the face with a hammer and, and you see her head sort of snapped. Yeah. Um, then it cuts very quickly. Yes. So that obviously is going to make you go, ooh. But then you laugh afterwards because you're kind of like, oh my God, I can't believe that I just saw that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so you, we got these monsters. Um, yeah, you... so yeah, going back to those, we see them briefly in that bit in the middle. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and we think that because, because that's sort of, he wakes up and all that, we think that's kind of a dream. Yeah. Yeah. But. And then we end up at the lair of the monsters. Yeah. City Hall station. <laughs> yeah. Abandoned. And this is where they, the people who run the city are. Yeah. So the, the kind of, you know, the basically the train driver is Mr. Exposition and sort of says, mm-hmm. okay, he kills Mahogany in a massive fight. And Mahogany says, welcome. Yeah. Just before he dies, and you think, "What? What's going on here?" And I mean, at this point, when I was watching it, I was like, "Oh my god, this is great! This is brilliant!" <laughs> I thought this was like one kind of film, and now it's turned into a completely different kind of film. And I'm 
love i'm obsessed with secret conspiracies yes and you are <laughs> lots of lots of people knowing stuff that other people don't i mean that's why i like and you like kind of... monsters behind the scenes as well. <laughs> like monsters behind the <laughs> scenes so this is like my, my ultimate favorite whereas a lot of people don't like that sort of thing I mean, i've heard people online of course yeah listen to everyone online they've all got an opinion <laughs> yeah um people some people complain about the fact that the monsters turn up and they like the idea of a serial killer film a suspense mystery serial killer film but they don't like monsters behind the scenes i think it's personal taste i can I completely oh, no, understand absolutely. i can completely understand why someone might be really liking the serial killer thing and then go oh well it's monsters i don't get it um that's up to them yeah i love that i think that's brilliant yeah, um, yeah it is personal choice personal taste and i think i mean i read the book beforehand where the i mean we'll talk about that on a different podcast but the end of that is even more extreme with the monsters <laughs> Um, and in this film, I was a bit concerned about how they were going to do the monsters. Yeah. It wouldn't have surprised me, and it has happened before, if they hadn't have kept the monsters in at all. Yeah, well, I know that one, one point the producers wanted them to take the monsters out. Yeah, and that would not have surprised me, and I would have been very disappointed. Um, and the way that they've done them in the film is good. I agree. It's very simple, yeah. and it's obviously had to be done quite cheaply. Yeah, it doesn't. the camera doesn't linger on them too much. And they're, they're quite dark. And at one point they look a bit like orcs. Another point they look like the weird um, hybrid alien-human from Alien Resurrection. But they do look a bit like that, yeah. <laughs> but um, it's it's great. And you just know that they there are something horrible and hideous. You don't want to get anywhere near them. Yeah, and uh, I think, again, less is more. I mean, this is what yeah, I like I about agree. the kind of Lovecraftian stuff where it hit the, the train driver just kind of says, you must serve now. We must serve to keep the worlds apart. Mm. You know, and it's that thing of... If we don't keep these monsters happy, bad stuff's going to happen. Yeah. So essentially, are they the good guys? These well, killers. It, well, maybe. Or or are they just feeding the 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 old fathers of the city? Because otherwise, they'll die. And what would be so bad about that? Well, that's what I mean. You this know, is the question. we don't know. No, we don't know. And you you're left. You know, you finish the film. And you think so. Is it is it a good thing to feed these monsters? Because people are telling me if I don't, then something bad's going to happen. Mm. Is that true? Is it true that well, the, who, who the, is this the, driver? Well, the yeah. driver is, seems to be human, but he's got superhuman strength. He's got superhuman strength, and he eats his tongue. Yes, he does do that. Um, I mean, I did think this time when I was watching. Actually, there's there's all that stuff about the um, the Windigo and stuff like that, isn't there? The yeah. ravenous, the human uh, can, cannibalism. Uh, can sometimes leave you with superhuman strength and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So maybe there's maybe there's a part of that involved in it. Yeah, maybe. Maybe that's what Mahogany was doing because Mahogany was clearly a big guy, but he was clearly stronger was than su- a normal strong. person as yeah. well. Um, uh, maybe that's what led him to be sick with mm-hmm. tumors. Or are we? Is it implying that Mahogany is the same butcher, the same guy from the eighteen hundreds? You see that. Um, it could go both ways wasn't it it was implying that mm. but then because Bradley Cooper's character at the end is sort of dressed up exactly the same as him doing exactly the same thing it kind of made me think that maybe perhaps yeah, you know it was different people across the years because like you said you can take it both ways you could take it that he that Mahogany has been alive for a hundred years he was, he's been given a present by the monsters yeah of, of, of uh, extra long life because of that he's now covered in tumours because he's been living for so long. Could be. And he's coming to the end of his life. And Yeah. 
spewing out blood. So that's good because I, I like a film that leaves you with lots of questions, lots of things to think yeah. about. I don't, I don't know. You know, I think a film sometimes, well, any piece of art will push you in a certain direction to make you think one thing or the other. No idea whether or not Mahogany and the train driver are the good guys. No. But I kind of like it if they were, <laughs> you know. Yeah, me too. The police are involved. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a big conspiracy. All these people are keeping it quiet about feeding these monsters human beings every mm-hmm. night. I guess since so many people are kind of involved, I'd probably do it in a I'm sure there's an easier way <laughs> to do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think Mahogany's got a hell of a job. Each, not as in like, wow, I'd love that job. That's a hell of a job. <laughs> um, but I mean, a lot of work to do each night. What, and then go to work in the day. And then he works at a, a meatpacking <laughs> plant yeah. in the day. Um, but yeah, uh, a lot of work to do because they, I mean, this is this detail is put in the book, but it's shown in the film um, that he has to shave all the hair off and prepare the people yeah. so that they're actually like meat. Exactly yeah. like meat. Take out their teeth. Yeah. So, and you see this in the film and it's done really well. Yeah. Really well. Taking the eyes out. He takes, he scoops their eyeballs out, Brilliant. pulls their teeth out, takes their fingernails off so that when the monsters come they can just eat eat away happily. Yeah. Well, that's going to take a long time. It will. But it doesn't, it doesn't say how many he does a night. I mean, the most, I mean, you see at one point there's maybe eight. Strong yeah. up. That's quite a lot. That is, will take a while. <laughs> um... So yeah, so the world that we're in here, I'm interested in. Mm-hmm. I'm interested in, you know, I love that kind of idea of um, just to keep this world ticking over, we have to do something horrible. I mean, there's, uh, I don't want to say it in case people haven't seen it. There's a there's a modern film, a, a recent I film, I the one you're thinking um, of. where something very similar yeah. happens in it, which mm-hmm. I'm sure lots of you will now be going, oh yeah. And a modern film with also with a nice Hellraiser nod. Yes, a modern film with a Hellraiser nod that has a very similar thing. And, hey, you know, I like that idea. I do. Clive Barker says in the commentary that he's... he's, I think he uses the word written. I don't know if that means planned out or written the scripts for. Midnight Meat Train 2 and 3. Wow. He's got planned out already that he wanted to do. But, unfortunately, the releasing of this film got a bit screwed up and it didn't make very much money. Yeah, because it was kind of like straight to video, wasn't it, really? Well, let's talk briefly about what they... Now, this is obviously a one-sided part of the argument. From the commentary, which is Clive Barker and the director, it seems that they were promised a big May opening on, you know, 3,000 screens across the country. And all of a sudden it got bumped down to an August opening only on about 100 screens or so. And it sort of sunk without a trace. And then it came out on DVD quite soon after. Mm-hmm. So it was apparently very hard to find. I don't remember this coming to the cinema in the UK. I know I don't remember that. I um, remember it walking into a like a video shop, a DVD shop, and going, "Oh wow, yeah, it's a Clive Barker thing. Okay, cool, let's get it." Yeah, me too. I don't think I don't remember it being in the cinema. It could have been like a limited release somewhere mm-hmm. over here. Mm-hmm. Um, if anyone saw it in the UK at the cinema, then do let us know. Yeah, I'd love to, if they do screen it anywhere. I would love to see it on a big screen at some point. Yeah. That'd be good fun with an audience. Especially an audience of people who haven't seen it before. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. But because of that release, it didn't do very well at the box office, mainly because no one could find it. And it didn't make very much money, Mm. which is a shame. Because if it had been marketed well and released on a 
and a big grand scale, I think it would have made a lot of money. I think so, because I think it satisfies, uh, you know, a lot of different tastes. Although, although literally. listening to uh, to them talk on the commentary, a lot was cut, apparently, for the US theatrical release right. by the MPAA. A lot of the gore, a lot of the violence, some of the sex... Uh, they keep saying, oh, "Oh, this is this is cut. This was cut. Oh, this is back in. Oh, I like this bit. This is no. this makes much more sense with oh, this bit." In. Okay. And uh, I think the the R-rated edited version sounds like it might be quite dull yeah. <laughs> in places. Yeah. Okay. And it wouldn't be as much fun. Like we were saying about the gore being fun. I mean, for someone like me or you, we we're not gonna go out and kill someone on a train after watching this. We watch this and have a lot of fun watching the gore. That's yeah. what it is for us. Yeah. That's something that censors can't always understand. The fact that it's not going to be impressionable, it's, it's fun for people to watch this stuff. I think so, and I, I really think, you know, it's it's all in the way it's done. Mm. And and that's the thing, I, I find certain things about Hostel much more horrific. Yeah. You know, I, someone sitting in a chair crying and screaming and whimpering, mm. to me, is really horrible and I don't like it. Yeah. Whereas someone getting battered around the head with a hammer and their head falls off, it, it makes me go, oh! Yeah. But it doesn't you know affect me in that way it doesn't seem uh, so horrible <laughs> whereas the MPAA would have the person sat in the chair crying for a while yeah and then they'd cut the one shot of him getting his ankle sliced or something yeah which yeah. is still the same it's still as, as intense yeah absolutely anyway I'm not going to go on a big rant about censorship because <laughs> uh, I'll be here all day um but yeah I mean on the the gore in this film obviously we've spoken about it a little bit but the uh there's a there's quite a bit of cg and it mm. does look like cg uh but it is stylized i think so um, but it doesn't look bad it doesn't look bad no it looks well like, I mean, we've said this a couple of times but it looks sort of comic booky yeah which i think is really good fun yes um and there's also practical effects in it which yeah. are really good yeah there's some uh, great body parts and uh, mm. wounds and stuff and really horrible things that will make you cringe. <laughs> so that's good. Before you were born, or the birth of any other human thing, that's how long. Or longer. And now you found us. As only a few before you have. The intimate circle that keeps the secret. We protect and nurture them, and order is thereby preserved. It must be done to keep the world separate. You'll understand soon enough. So Clive Barker was a producer of the film as well. He was involved in the making of the film. Um, he had chats with the director throughout the making of process. I think he might have helped a bit with the script. Okay. Or with the story idea anyway. He right. definitely was on hand to talk about what, what could happen in it. Mm. Um, apparently he's got a bit of a temper on him, listening to the commentary. Who? Clive. Has he? Yeah. He uh, accidentally got sent a an unfinished script or a, an early draft version script which wasn't ready yet and right. he didn't like. Right. And he... He had a massive go at the director, like a really scary, <laughs> being really mean to him, sort of saying, "What are you doing? You're ruining it. Everything's everything's ruined. This is awful." And then he explained that it was an early draft and it's changed, and he calmed down a bit since then. Wow, I wouldn't want to be on the wrong side of Clive Barker. No, and then, and then when it wasn't being released and it kept being delayed and delayed, he apparently phoned up the producer and had a massive 
rant at him as well. And oh. apparently he was told by the producer at this stage that um, the film wasn't working and they couldn't get a decent trailer out of it. Which is crazy because Nonsense. there's so much trailer material in the film. Yeah. I don't know, it does seem a bit odd that they didn't... They sort of got cold feet, the producers, when they wanted to went to release it and they just chickened out a bit and didn't I, do a proper I, release. I think it's the monsters. It's a conspiracy. They didn't want people knowing about yeah. them. <laughs> so um, they got involved. <laughs> uh, no, but I do actually believe that the ending of the film was why they couldn't get behind it. Maybe. Maybe. I think, you know, they a lot of the time, producers and people like that, an idea like that, that it ends up being these monsters, the way it's done in the film is good and clever and makes sense, and you go, wow, oh, great. Um, but I think that they think it's a bit silly and they don't understand. Unless yeah. unless the hero kind of kills the serial killer at the end and then everyone goes off happy. They go, oh, well, I don't like that film. I don't, you know, what, what was that ending all about? And it is quite a dark ending. I mean, the, Maya gets... Uh, heart ripped out he gets his tongue ripped out and becomes a butcher it's not a cheery ending it's not a cheery ending it's an ending that I like though I'm excited by it I'm like wow he's he's like the new mahogany I just really wish that it had a a big release and it made you know millions of dollars and they were now working on two and three that would be brilliant especially if it was the same director it would be very interesting wouldn't it if it was the same creative team I would absolutely adore this as a trilogy because he's talking about how the the sequels he's got in mind are a lot more to do with this conspiracy and get a yeah lot more that would be great let's do it that would be great and seeing what happens to him I don't think they could probably get Bradley Cooper in it anymore well no. maybe for old times sake. <laughs> well I was really interested in this is really stupid but um, at the end when he's become the new mahogany mm. he's walking along and you're kind of thinking is that mahogany because it's Sort of looks like yeah. him. Got the same haircut as Vinnie Jones, and then you see it's Bradley Cooper, and I'm like, did he actually? Did he actually get his haircut like yeah, that? Yeah, they made him because it looks really real. What did Bradley Cooper get his haircut? Yeah. Well, why wouldn't he? Because it's a bit of a it's it's for a, one shot for one shot at the end of the film, and it's quite a sort of extreme style compared to what Bradley Cooper's hair is normally like. <laughs> I I was I genuinely spent ages thinking, did they make him have his hair cut for the very end of the film? And it, to me, it looks like they did. I think they did. Yeah, well, he's an actor, you know. Like, it suits Vinnie Jones, but I think he looked a bit, you he know, a it's not gonna, it's not gonna suit him as much. <laughs> and the other thing is, where is the film set? This is something that I was trying to think of because it's the the original story is is a New York story set in New York. Mm. And this has the feel of New York to it in places, mm. but it was filmed in LA. Right. And there's no sort of shots of the New York skyline, I don't think. Mm. I mean, there's shots of a city, and being from England, I don't know what city it is. It might be obviously LA for all I know. But yes. it's, um, also, I think they used um, a modified elevated car from um, Chicago, from the L train line. Oh, okay. So it's sort of got a Chicago feel to the train as well. So I think it's it's well, it's one of these country of the imagination that we talked mm, about before, where, it's nowhere. where Hellraiser was set. It's nowhere. But I mean, it I, doesn't matter where it's set. It, no, it doesn't in the film because it's just you know. I mean, in the book, I think the 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 it does matter. Yeah, it does because it's about the city and, mm. and preserving this amazing city and preserving this thing, you know. Um, and this film does touch on that. 
Well, I mean, he's talking about how he wants to capture the city in his pictures because no one has ever done it right before. Mm. No one's ever got to the heart of the city, whatever the city is. And, uh, yeah, it's... I mean, the, the the locations look great. I would say that. I mean, every location that they film is yeah. looks great. Mm. So the set, the art direction is, is brilliant. It is, yeah. Uh, the subway looks great. It's all mm. these huge grey and blue yeah. spaces. <laughs> looks really, really lovely. And obviously, you know, a lot of the film takes place on trains. <laughs> and that's what's great about it. The director doesn't allow himself to be restrained with the camera. You know, the camera's going up, down, it's going yeah. outside the train, it's going inside the train. Yeah. Uh, There's some beautiful camera movements through through the train carriages. Yeah. Especially during the fight between Mahogany and, and Leon. Yeah, and it's it's quite like um, the end of Batman Begins, you know, where they've got that fight yeah. on the train there. And, you know, the camera's kind of going in and out of the, mm-hmm. of the actual windows and yeah you know and you can see there that i mean they make a bit of a big deal about how hard it is to do things in small spaces and so <laughs> on and so forth and on this film they really make it work yeah it's just how you film it and edit it it's very clever i just think you know stuff like looking out of the eyes of someone hanging upside down when <laughs> someone comes up to them slits their throat then they look down and see their own face reflected in a puddle of their own blood coming out <laughs> their throat <laughs> that's great yeah that's cool Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there, there's a lot of uh, interesting camera work. And apparently, he he filmed it very quickly. The director Kitamura, because he this is his first American film, and he was used to filming in Japan. And apparently, in Japan, you you do things very quickly. At one point, he mentions the one film he did. He they worked for 48 hours non-stop, right? And then had a break. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas in America, you have to have breaks every certain you know number of hours you only work so many hours a, mm. a day and he found that quite frustrating so he's like come on let's do some more let's do some more yeah and they said no that's it we're, we're finished for the day so he they did lots of like 30 odd setups every day and mm. he got working very quickly which is even more impressive because it looks so well planned out and well thought out i mean you can tell that he like i said earlier you know he, you can tell that he knows about special effects yeah because he's, it reminded me of Robert Rodriguez, actually, yes. in a weird way, because oh, he obviously was like, I want to do this crazy shot. I know how that's going to work. I know how we can do that special effects wise. Because you just wouldn't film it. You wouldn't even attempt it and go, we can sort that out later, <laughs> if, if, unless you were, had a but great he command is of that. Surrounded by a brilliant team of visual effects artists. Absolutely, and, yeah, and... you can tell that. Um, but I just think the way that it, it's all approached, uh, he clearly was well in control of the special yeah. effects and understanding what you could do with them. I've not seen any of his other films. I do want to go back and watch some of his earlier Japanese films because apparently some of those are quite you know violent and mm. bloody and gory and fun as Interesting. well. So I must go and check some of those out. And I'd advise everyone else to. <laughs> I think in terms of the camera shots and stuff like that, I mean, some of these inventive shots, if you haven't seen this film, if you haven't seen this film, we've wrecked it now, so there you go. <laughs> but if you haven't seen this <laughs> but film... But we warned you at the beginning. Yeah. If you haven't seen this film... You should watch it if you're into filmmaking because yeah. it does do stuff that hasn't been done before. There's some shots in there that you won't have seen in any other film. No. Um, and that's why it's a shame that it kind of didn't make more of a mark when it came out because it, it is genuinely a, a great technical achievement, a great artistic achievement. Yeah. You can go, oh yeah, it's just a film about, you know, serial killer and it's a bit silly, as monsters at the end. But the whole package is incredibly well put together. Yeah. I think. And it's had a lot of very good 
notices, critical acclaim, yes, and um, and public love it as well. Yeah, rightly so. Those who get to see it, but I think it is doing well on on DVD and Blu-ray, and people are finding it, which is great. Let's just get the word out. This is this is one of the reasons I wanted to do this podcast is to get the word out. Those who haven't seen it, go and watch it. It's really good. Yeah, and if you're you know if you're listening to this podcast and going, God, I, I remember that film. It was it was good. I liked it. Um, and you're going to have a horror night soon with your mm. friends. If you're going to get people around or you're going to get someone around to watch a film, put this one on for them. Yeah. Find it, yeah. put it on, and you will be... If they haven't seen it before, you'll be really surprised at their reaction. They will be jumping up and down in their seat going, oh, wow, oh, God, oh, mm-hmm. ooh. Um, and go out and, everyone go out and buy it as well. And yeah. Let's prove to them that we want a sequel. Yeah, because it's, uh, it's a good one, this one. Yeah. It's a good one. And you can tell it was made with a lot of care and attention. And it's such a shame, this whole producer thing, because nothing that Clive Barker is saying, that the reason that he spends most of his time writing and painting is because it's just him on his own. No one's asking him why he's doing things or Mm. telling him to change it. Mm. Whereas that's why he doesn't make films anymore. He helps out with... Well, I mean, he's been screwed over, hasn't he? Yeah, he's been screwed over. Massively in the past. Yeah. Well, this is the problem. Um, This is something that, you know, Hollywood does not take into account that they keep they keep alienating these people who yeah. are creative you know yeah. and they're just like nah, nah nah we'll do it our way oh it didn't work didn't make any money that midnet me train do you remember it was it yeah, was exactly. a, it they was a flop they, and you're like they you made it, it. Change it and change it yeah. and then they say see it didn't work yeah and you they, made yeah. that situation happen you made it make no money yeah such a shame but it's still at least it's there it's out there it's there, and you should see it. And you should see it well, on yeah, at least it got made. Exactly. Because I mean, it, certainly from this, from all the stories in the books of blood, it's not one that I would pick uh, immediately and go, "Oh, we could make that." Not well, that I, would be I, a movie. Saying that, I did think when I read the books that was one that did jump out at me as something I'd like to see. I did it. Yeah. Oh, I mean, it certainly would be one I'd like to see, but there I probably wouldn't have thought we could make it. A film. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, at least this takes place just yeah. <laughs> Mostly on a on a train. On a train, there you yeah, go. <laughs> which is okay. There you go. Simple. That's okay. But the commentary is interesting because Clive is so angry, and, and whenever he talks about all this producer stuff, the director just seems really sad <laughs> about the whole thing. He's really into the the film, and he's, he loves to talk about the making of and this and the, the, what happened and how it was made. And anytime Clive mentions the producing, he just sort of goes quiet and, and just kind of <sighs> goes, uh, yeah. <laughs> Which is a shame, but it's a very interesting commentary. I would recommend everyone listen to that as well. It's good. Uh-huh. So that's about it for this discussion, I think, about the Midnight Meat Train. All that's left to say is, once again, we love it. We think this film's brilliant. Mm. Really, really good. And should, you should all go and see it. If you haven't seen it, get the Blu-ray, get the DVD. If you have seen it, but you haven't bought it, buy it. Let's try and get them to make a sequel. It's one of those ones I... Um remembered it you know i kind of thought but i didn't remember it being as good as it was when i rewatched it yeah so give it another watch every time i watch it i i'm surprised how good it is yeah give it <laughs> give it another watch and you'll you'll be surprised yeah so at some point in the future we will talk about dread and the book of blood i might put those together in uh, in the same podcast because mm-hmm. i don't you might not have quite as much to say. Well, I don't think they're as good anyway mm-hmm. we'll get to that when we come to it mm-hmm. and then we've pretty much done all of Clive Barker's films or things that are based on him. Mm-hmm. We'll do another one on Rawhead Rex, shall we? <laughs> Let's do another one on Rawhead Rex. But no, at some point we are going to go through the books of blood, even though we've kind of we've talked about you know Rawhead Rex and the Forbidden, which was Candyman was based on, and we talked about this one a little bit. 
But we, at one point, we will go through the, the stories. Yeah, definitely. Because mm. they are excellent. And then we've said it before, we'll say it again. If you haven't read the Books of Blood, do go out and read them. They are some of the best short horror stories you will ever read. Yeah, they're astonishing. I don't know how he managed to do that. Yeah, the first thing that he <laughs> the first thing that he yeah, could put out in a book is just like, oh god, it's so good. <laughs> so tell us what you thought about the Midnight Meat Train. Join us on Facebook, on Twitter at HellraiserCast. You can email us HellraiserPodcast at hotmail.co.uk. And let's get a buzz going about the Midnight Meat Train. Mm. Get it trending, people. <laughs> So thank you all for listening. We will be back shortly with another one of these wonderful podcasts mm. where we randomly spout shit about stuff. Yeah. Thank you, <laughs> Phil, for joining me again. No, thank you. Oh, okay. Oh. And we'll see you all very soon. Goodbye. <laughs>